today is uh, entitled I Am. And it's entitled I Am. And one of the things that you've probably heard about if you've been a Christian for any amount of time is Jesus makes seven I Am statements. And they give us kind of a complete picture of who Jesus is. Say I Am. Jesus paints this picture, it's like an autobiography. He tells his own story, and the title of his autobiography would be I Am, and the subtitle would be The Bible. When you look at the Word of God, it's telling you who he is, why he is, why he came, what that means to you. Everybody that's ever been born, everybody that's ever existed, he's telling us a story. In these statements, I'm going to read them to you quickly. John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7 and 9, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, excuse me, in John 14, 6, we should know this here at this church. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And finally, in John 15, verse 1 and 5, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So he tells us all these different uh, I am statements about who he is and what that means to you, describing him, giving you part of his characteristics and how he is going to reach you, how he is going to love you, how he is going to impact your lives if you let him, right? Here's the thing, though. We are not going to be focused on these seven I am statements in our our series uh, this month. What we are going to be focusing on, the goal of this series, is for you to prepare a place for a newborn in your life. When we posted the original picture, go back to the other one, Jerry, uh, the first one that you had up this morning. When we first put this up, this is what I told everybody about our service this, this month, our service today. It's I am, and it's about preparing a place for a newborn in your life. Preparing place for God in your life. If you're busy, say amen. Amen. If you got problems, say amen. Amen. If you got drama, say amen. Amen. If you believe that there will probably be more drama before December's over, say amen. Amen. Unless you just completely avoid your friends and family, something else is going to happen this month. That is inevitable. That is the reality. That's the truth year after year, season after season. As we grow with the Lord and as things change, as we mature, as we grow up, as we age, maybe some of that drama decreases. Maybe we learn some things that can help us uh, go through those seasons more uh, effectively, right, and spiritually, but it's always going to be part of our lives. What we have to learn to do is make room for the king in the middle of that. We can't use those things as an excuse not to prepare a place and not to make room for him. Paul said, Because I believe in the resurrection, I die daily. In the scripture he's talking about, he's saying, he's telling people, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that that when you die, you will be raised. He says, I believe all these things, and so I die daily. I spend my life going out to tell people. I overcome prison. I overcome stoning. I overcome betrayal. Why? Not just because I would like to do those things. He said, I believe in the resurrection, so I'm willing to die daily. For Christians, after death comes life. There's a new birth for Christians. For the Christian who is intent on being conformed into the image of Christ, our Lord and Savior, that's what the Bible says that God's trying to do in your life. 
If you ever wonder what is he trying to do, he's trying to conform you into his image, the image of his son. And if you're focused on doing that or allowing that to happen in your life, right, there is this daily lying down of your life that has to take place. You have to lie down your flesh, and you have to take up or put on the spirit of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, what I want to do, I don't do that. What, I, what my flesh wants me to do, I don't do that either. I die every day, I lay down my flesh, and then I take up a new life, which is the life of Christ. I actually put Christ on. When you wake up in the morning, you take your shower, you put your clothes on. What Paul's saying is, in the spirit, it's the same thing. I have to wake up, take a shower, and put Christ on every single day. This morning, I woke up around 5 o'clock, got some coffee, and I saw something in my kitchen that reminded me of the dog that we recently had, the money we spent on this dog for shots and everything else before we let the dog go. If you're new here, you probably haven't heard the dog story. Get on the app, listen to the message. It's, it's a tough story. Synopsis. I decided it would be a good idea to get a dog without telling my wife. Everybody caught up? Not a, not a good thing. So before we, got the, we let the dog go, this morning I saw something in the kitchen, 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm the only one up in the house, and it reminded me of that, and I got this elevated heart rate, and anger began to flood into my spirit, right? Mary wrote me a text this last week, and uh, I copied it so I could share it with you. This is exactly what she says. That's why she sits in the front, so you can't see her face when she's making faces at me right now. <laughs> She wrote me this text, and it said, I just want you to know that I love you so much, and I appreciate all that you are and all that you have become. You're absolutely amazing, and I wouldn't trade my life in for anything. Everyone say, aw. <laughs> so rewind this morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. I see something. I get angry. I start thinking about the dog. I start thinking about the money. I start thinking about, you know, stuff. And then I thought about this text. Within, this is all happening within 10 seconds. And I said, well, of course you feel that way because you get everything you want. I want a dog. You didn't want a dog. We don't have a dog. I would be happy if I was you too. I would love me if I was you too. And I started getting angrier and angrier. Now we're up to about 15 seconds. <laughs> right? I sat down, and I was amazed uh, because I started to get this flash in my eyes. I saw the rest of our day flash before my eyes, and it was a bad day. Today was going to be a bad day. I said, I don't know what time she's going to wake up, but when she does, it's drama. Whenever she gets up, I'm just going to be mean for the sake of being mean. I'm going to be standoffish. I'm going to drink my coffee and probably eat something. I ain't giving her nothing. It's going to be all bad. I was already planning it in my head. Anybody been there? Okay, it's not just me. Thank you, Lord. So I sat down, now it's 5.01. The whole point of me getting up early was to go over the message, to pray, to get, you know, in the spirit. And I sat down and I said to myself, I don't really feel the way my thoughts or my physical body and heart rate are leading me to believe that I feel. That's what I said to myself. I sat down finally and I said, you know what? The reality is I don't even really feel this way. My head feels this way. My heart rate tells me to feel this way. The heat in my body of anger tells me to feel this way, but the truth is I don't even really feel this way. I said to myself, the whole situation that you're going through this morning, it started when you did something stupid that you shouldn't even have done. You're the one that went out and got that dog without talking to your wife about it. 
You're the one that did that, knowing that it would affect her and affect you and affect the family. And just because you didn't like having to deal with the consequences of that decision, now you want to be angry at somebody. It felt like an out-of-body experience. I was like, Lord, why am I talking to myself like this? <laughs> Is this her job? Then I said to myself, I'm not angry with my wife at all. I love my wife. And she doesn't come close to getting everything she wants. You know how a few seconds earlier I was mad and like, yeah, you get everything you want. That's why you love me. No, she doesn't come close to getting everything that she wants. Matter of fact, I don't know anyone who's had a more, a more difficult first decade of being married than she has. A more difficult process of having to become a parent, be married to somebody crazy like me, start a church, plant a church, and love all kinds of people. Like, she didn't plan on any of you people. <laughs> but when I'm angry, she gets everything she wants. You see what I'm saying? So why did I tell you this whole story, you know? Uh, and open up our personal lives like I always do and get myself in trouble. Because what happened to me this morning was about dying daily and making room for Christ and putting Christ on. You see what I'm saying? Now, that story has happened time and time again in my life, but usually I don't die to myself. I feed the flesh and, and fuel the fire. Usually I don't put Christ on. I put drama on. See, when Paul says, I die daily, he's talking about in the daily experiences of our life, having to die to yourself, die to the flesh, and put Christ on. Tell your thoughts and tell your mind and tell your heart rate and tell that heat that, that swells up. No. You're a liar. I know that's not the truth. Praise the Lord. And I'm not going to listen to you. See, these things that happen in our lives, to you and I, at first glance, they don't seem very important, but they're very important. If you'll make room for Jesus, he'll bring change and transformation, hope and joy into the very minutes and moments of your struggles. We ain't talking about later. I ain't talking about, you know what, Lord, I'm really praying that six months from now, I don't do what I wanted to do today and start drama and start a fight and we waste a week or we waste a day, whatever it is. Not later, right now, this morning, in the minute of my struggle, before she wakes up and before I do something stupid. If you'll make room for him, if you'll prepare a place, he'll come. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when we talk about making room when you come to church, most people think make room for church. You have a busy schedule, set aside Sunday morning. Set aside Wednesday night. Make room for God to be able to do something in your life. I'm not saying that that's not important, but what I'm telling you this morning is you have to do more than make room for church, make room for the house of the king. You have to actually make room for the king. I couldn't have just said, Lord, we'll deal with this at, uh, at 1030. No, I have to call on the king now. When something happens on Monday, I can't say, Lord, let's wait till Wednesday night and we'll, we'll wrestle with this and we'll pray and we'll have worship and then somebody will pray over me and then you can move. No, I have to be able to call on the king now. I have to be able to make room for him now. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's what it says, put it on. When you call me, which is okay, and you ask me, men, how do I deal with her? She's driving me crazy. Do you know what she did? Do you know what she said? Do you know what my kids are doing? Do you know what happened to the finances? There is an answer. You have to plan and prepare, but the reality is, hey, bro, you need to stop. You need to put Christ on. 
you women, when you're losing your mind, it doesn't give you, this isn't a self-help book that says that there's three steps to solving every problem. What it says is we've been given a king, we've been given a spirit that is more powerful than you if you want to be king, and the spirit of your flesh that's alive in you. You have to lay that down and let it die, and you have to take upon you the spirit of God and put on Christ. In the middle of your mental and emotional and spiritual struggles, you have to be able to do that. Maybe coming to church is where you learn how to do that, and living out in the world is where you actually implement it. So Olivia in our church told me on Friday night, some of us were here, she told me a story of uh, she was feeling attacked at work, and she remembered a message that I preached, which always trips me out when people start conversations with, Pastor, you remember when you said, I cringe. I'm like, what did I say? Was it, was it me talking or was it God talking? What did I say? She said, I remember you had a message one time where you said, you need to stop in the middle of whatever it is that's going on, whatever struggle you have, and you need to pray. And I was like, all right, good. I'm glad I said that. That was true. So she said she was having one of those days at work. She, she went into the bathroom, thought about what I said, went into the bathroom, and literally prayed because the couple of people at work were kind of torturing her and being mean to her and doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. She said she came out of the restroom, and when she came out, those two people were packing up their desks. And she looked, and she's like, what is going on? So she went to another coworker who was a friend of hers, and she was unpacking her desk. She said, what's going on? She says, oh, they, those two got transferred, and I got transferred in. I'm going to be in your area now. Right? In just, in just a minute, right, of going into the restroom saying, I can't deal with this, instead of waiting, instead of getting mad, instead of giving the flesh an opportunity, she did what was preached. Thank God it was out of the word of God. And exactly what I'm talking to you about, making room right now for the king to come in and do something in your situation. Many of us are so tired of our situation, so tired of our struggle, so tired of our drama, yet we find ourselves still in it. And we've never made room for the king to come in. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Listen to this, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, captivity to the obedience of Christ. You have to learn, I have to learn how to bring our thoughts into the captivity and obedience of Christ. Your thoughts will run you. My thoughts will run you. You guys might not believe it now because you know me like this, but there was a day when my thoughts used to run me and run Mary crazy. I have a very, what do you call it? Every, I'm sure, don't answer all of you people. Like OCD and a very, what? Type A personality. Right? Once it gets in here, it's hard to get it out. And it affects other people around me. I have to learn how to bring those thoughts into captivity. This morning, I made room for God. I brought those thoughts into captivity. And now I'm walking in destiny and blessings instead of death and destruction, right? In just a few hours, my wife is happy. She's still smiling. You can't see it. We're together. We're enjoying each other. The family is happy. When in reality, there was a pretty good opportunity for me to blow all that up this morning. Our anniversary was in May, and I bought her tickets to see Andrea Bocelli. Anybody know who that is? I did good, huh? So I bought her these tickets. You, you could say I did good. She's been married for 10 years. She's been telling me for a decade. She likes to do. We never went before. And guess what day the actual concert is? Everybody say tonight. tonight. It's tonight. <laughs> so just imagine 
the God that we serve, he is preparing things for us. I'm telling you to prepare something for him, but he's also preparing something for us. If we make room for him, we bring our thoughts into uh, captivity and obedience unto Christ, not only will he come in and do something, but the things that he's already prepared for you, you will be able to walk into him and experience those blessings. Tonight, we're going to be at that concert. Our kids are going to be babysat. We're going to be enjoying each other, remembering why we're in love. Instead of being in an argument, being in a fight, and me thinking, how did I spend so much money on a concert I don't even want to go to to listen to this dude that I can't even understand? Prepare a place, make room. I'm not just telling you, a lot of times as Christians, we think it's all about what we're going to do for Christ. The minimum that we do opens doors for the amount of amazing things that he wants to do in your life. Our God is the God that is preparing things for you before you were even born. I'm talking about I bought these tickets six months ago and I get to enjoy it tonight. But there's things that before I was born, I get to walk into as a Christian if I prepare room for the king. So like I said in the beginning... The goal of this series is to prepare a place for a newborn in your life. What we've talked about so far is making room for the living God to impact your life on a daily basis, right? No matter where you are, what you're going through, make room for him. The rest of the morning, what I want to share with you guys and focus on, and for the next few weeks, is about making room for something to be actually burst into your life, right? You have the full-grown king, you have the spirit of God, the power of God, and him impacting your life if you make room for him right in those moments through prayer, through separation and sanctification, through getting into your word, whatever it might be, he can come in those moments and actually have an impact. But what I really want to focus on is something being birthed into your life. That's a different thing altogether. Preparing a place for a newborn is not the same thing, right? You have this picture of dinner in your head, and it's your dinner. And how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? Anybody got kids? You seen Inside Out? Praise the Lord. So that's your dinner table with all the crazy people that live in your head. That's you and your dinner table. And preparing a place sometimes is just stopping and saying, hey, I got another seat for you, Lord. Come on into my craziness, and maybe you'll be more powerful than all the other crazy people in my head. Doing that in the moment or in the instant or in your drama, you can learn how to do that, and God will move through that. But preparing a place for a newborn is something different altogether. You have to prepare in advance. You don't just find yourself in this drama all of a sudden there's a baby. No, you know there's a baby. You know that there's a baby coming. It takes a child about nine months to get here. For what we're talking about in this series and in this church right now, you got three weeks. Right? Three weeks and then it's the birth of Christ. It's Christmas. With a newborn, you have to make sure that there's a safe place. Somebody say amen. You have to provide food. Any parents? Somebody say Amen. They keep eating more. I don't know if you guys know this, but they eat more as they grow and get older. <laughs> and you have to tend to every need without fail. Say without fail. Okay. See, the thing about a baby is it'd be nice if you could, like, tend to the needs, and then one day you feel like, you know what, I don't feel like doing this today. You, like, you don't feed them, and you don't change them. No, that's not how it works. Every need without fail. No days off, no time off, doesn't matter if you're sick, doesn't matter if you're broke, doesn't matter if you lose your job, doesn't matter if you're happy in your marriage, you have to continue to do the things that only you can do. Preparing a place for a newborn is something special. The other thing that you have to do is you have to commit during the pregnancy at a minimum to see it through to the end. Early on, you have to say, you know what, I'm going to see this through. 
I'm going to take care of this pregnancy. I'm going to have the newborn. I'm going to provide a safe place. I'm going to meet every need without fail. I'm going to make sure that there's food. I'm going to make sure that there's safety. And I'm going to see that until the child is full grown. If you're willing to do that from this point on, this morning on, in this church, in this series, in this season, if you're willing to do that, I believe God will show each of you that even though it might be a surprise to you, you've been pregnant for some time. You might not feel like you're pregnant, but I guarantee you, because I know who God is, everybody here this morning is pregnant with something that God wants to give birth to in your life. But if you're not committed to the pregnancy, if you're not committed to doing the things that have to be done in order to have a newborn, and if you're not committed to seeing it through to the end until that newborn is full grown, then God would be a fool to birth it into your life. I believe we'll also see this season some new Christians, those that currently don't know the Lord, will have Christ actually birthed for the first time into their life. They'll receive the child that they haven't received before. They'll accept that birth and accept that sacrifice and allow their life to die and take up a new life. If you've never seen something like that before happen to somebody, it's miraculous. Many of us, how many of you have either, women, you've experienced it yourself, (laughs) birth. Amen. How many men have experienced through her birth, the birthing process? Amen. Praise God. Watch over him, Lord Jesus. I remember I almost fainted when one of my kids was born because we had to have some emergency stuff go on and the doctors let me see something that I shouldn't have seen and I almost went down. They had to start working on me. Another message for another time. If you've ever seen the the blessing or the gift of life, it's exciting to see. When you see a real Christian become a Christian for the first time, it's exciting to watch somebody that didn't know the Lord come to know the Lord, to watch somebody who was burdened by their sin be forgiven for their sins. This season, if you ain't at the mall, you might see that. <laughs> my bad. I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't in my notes. You'll see Christians, though, also give birth, spiritual birth in this place, all over this place. Some of you guys might have surprise twins like Rand Sarah did. Found out they were pregnant, they're like, all right, we can deal with this, Lord. It comes from you. And then they found out it was twins. They're like, no, Lord, no. <laughs> so why I am? Say I am. So we have this series, I am. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 says, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses is is charged with doing something that was not on his list, not on his plan, and he's not capable of doing. He says, I'm going to get there and tell these people that they need to come with me and follow me into nowhere out of the richest nation on the planet. And to leave everything behind that they know, even though it's hard and difficult, they're blessed. I've got to go and tell them to leave that behind and follow me. Who am I going to say told me to tell them that? And God says, tell them I am sent you. What does it mean to be the the I am? What does that name mean? It means I'm everything. Any question you have, I don't care what question it is, somebody throw out any question this morning. And I promise you I can give you the answer. I'm sick. Who should I go to and who can help me with this sickness? And then God would say, I am. 
Pastor, we're struggling in our marriage, and it's mine, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to work. Is there somewhere I can go? Is there somebody I should talk to? God would say, I am. It doesn't matter what it is that you're going through. You need help. You need strength. You need encouragement. You need direction. You need love. You need peace. You need forgiveness. You need to be challenged. I am is the answer to whatever your question is. And that's what God is saying because when you go to release 2 million people from bondage and slavery and take them to a new place, believe me, you're going to have at least 2 million questions. And he says, I'm the answer. Moses don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Only the I am has all those answers. I'm literally the answer to every question, is what he says. There's nothing that anybody needs that I don't have the answer to, I don't have direction for, I don't have peace for. For week one, there's one thing that I want you to remember when we leave this place. He says, I am coming. I am coming. He is the coming one. To those who have never seen him, he says, I am coming If you know God already, he says what? I am coming again. Let me say that one more time. If you've never met him, if you hope he's real, he says to you this morning, I am coming. If you're a Christian here because he's already come into your life and forgiven you of your sins, he would say to you this morning, I am coming again. He is the coming one, always coming to us. In John chapter 14, verse 2, this is what Jesus says. You're a Christian. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's coming again. You have more needs. You have more questions. You need more help. Are you preparing a place for the coming one to come again? Let me ask you that one more time. This morning, of all the things you're doing, are you preparing a place for the coming one to come again? If he shows up this holiday, are all the rooms in your house already filled? Are all the resources already spent? Is all the love already expended? Is all the help already expended? If somebody calls you and they need help this season, are you available or are you too busy? You know when people call you and they need stuff like, I need this fixed, I need that fixed? Yesterday we called somebody because... The, the caretaker that was going to take care of our kids for tonight, they got sick. They're in the hospital. So we called somebody else and said, hey, uh, what you doing tomorrow night? <laughs> I said, oh, we didn't really have much plan. All right, can you watch our kids? That's hard. Somebody called us. Hey, next week, can you watch our kids? Yes, we can. Good thing we said yes. The person asked us first. I believe with all my heart, if we had to said no, then the person would have said no to us. <laughs> the other person. <laughs> Preparing a place for the coming one. When Jesus' mother carried him, God forced her body to prepare a place for him. Picture that. When you get pregnant, your body isn't ready to grow and have a baby, but it's forced to do that. You can't say stop. So God forces her body to prepare a place for Jesus. With Joseph, Joseph knows that he didn't impregnate her. And what's going through his mind is confusion and anger and mistrust and all kinds of stuff. And what does God do? He says, prepare a place for this child. I don't care how confused you are. I don't care how much you mistrust. I don't care how much anxiety is involved. I am God, and I'm telling you, prepare a place in your heart for this child. And we think we're challenged. Try Joseph's shoes. 
The key question is with the birth of Christ, not with, not with Mary and God forcing her body to prepare a place, not with Joseph and how hard that was, but God challenging him to prepare a place. The main question I have is, who was supposed to prepare a place for a newborn and failed to do so? There was a baby coming into the world, and God, I guarantee you, told someone, I need you to prepare a place for this child, and they failed to do it. We know the story, don't we? What happened when Mary and Joseph come into Bethlehem looking for a place that should be prepared? There was no place. Somebody dropped the ball. And not only did Mary and Joseph and Jesus suffer because of it, but they missed their blessing. All we hear about is who didn't have a place prepared. When we could be reading about the man or the woman or the family or the couple or whoever it was that could have prepared a place for the Savior of the world, and they dropped the ball. I know someone dropped the ball because I know God. In Luke 22, verse 7, it says this. This is fast forward. Jesus is old. He's about to be crucified in just another day. It says, there came the day of unleavened bread, which is the Passover, when the Passover must be killed. He sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? He said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of that house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready so they went and found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the passover god always prepares a place and he always gives people a chance to be a part of destiny and god always attaches blessings to destiny he wants to have the passover with with his disciples and he tells them you're going to go to this place you're going to see a man who's already been told to prepare a place and this man is going to have actually prepared the place, which means he's going to be blessed and we're going to be blessed. I guarantee you that the same was true. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When Christ was coming into the world, I guarantee you, at least one, God told them prepare a place, and they didn't. This season, has God told you to prepare a place and you haven't yet? Have you even been thinking about it? He always prepares a place. He always allows people who are willing to be part of destiny, and then he attaches your blessings to that destiny. If Pharaoh won't listen to God when he says, let my people go, then death and destruction are going to come on Pharaoh. But God's going to give him a chance. He says, I'm going to send Moses to you, Pharaoh, and he's going to tell you, let my people go. If you let my people go, you can be a part of destiny instead of death and destruction, and you can be a part of blessing. But what is going to happen, whether you want to or not, Pharaoh, is my people are going to get let go. And then they're going to go where? Into the place that I prepared for them. And what's in that place that I prepared for them? Blessings. Because that's who God is. With Judas, God tells him, Judas, give yourself completely to the Son. If you do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, what's going to happen? Death and destruction. My son is going to the cross regardless. And when he goes to the cross, the place that's prepared for him, what happens? 
Another place opens up for you and I, anybody who would believe in him, of what? Blessings. But Judas had an opportunity at destiny, but instead he wouldn't prepare a place in his heart for Christ. And all he got was death and destruction. This year, like I said earlier, you're going to be busy. You're going to be stressed. You're going to be tired. You're going to be like the innkeeper. But this year, like every other year, I guarantee you this. There is a star in the heavens declaring that the king is coming. The voice of God from heaven is saying, the king is coming. I am coming. What are we going to do? Are we going to be wise men and wise women? Are we going to prepare a place? Are we going to seek him out? Are we going to sacrifice some other things that are, they're important, but they're not as important as he is. In Acts 1, verse 11, an angel says to the disciples, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He says he's coming back. He's coming again. Prepare a place. Get ready. Do whatever he told you to do so that when he comes, you're ready. The issue for many of us who have been waiting for the I am to come again is that oftentimes we're waiting for the gift instead of the gift bearer. Let me say that again. Whatever it is you're waiting for from God, healing, restoration, blessings, whatever it is, you all have your own stuff. It's like your Christmas list. My kids are writing Christmas lists right now. They know what they want. But you and I as adults, we have to grow up and be able to say, look, are we waiting for the king or are we waiting for the gifts that he's bearing? There's no Santa. All the kids in, oh, I'm sorry. They're knocked out back there. <laughs> they can wait for the gifts. You and I, we have to wait for the real king, the real giver. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You'll see the goodness of God, but you have to wait on the Lord. You have to wait on the coming one. Here's the trouble with waiting. John the Baptist was waiting on Jesus, and when he showed up, a little while later, he got his head chopped off. Lazarus was waiting on Jesus, and he didn't show up until he already died. <laughs> Even in Moses' day, anybody who has a normal mind would say this. God, we've been waiting for a long time. It's been 400 years. We haven't seen you. We haven't heard of you. We're in slavery. People were born into slavery, and people died in slavery. We're tired of waiting on you. The promise will arrive just as it was predicted, and the promise will arrive in the package, just like whatever you thought it was going to come in. It's going to come in that package. Here's the, the issue. The promiser usually comes in anything but a predictable way. Right? When you get the gift, it's going to be what you thought it was, and it's going to be better than you thought it was. Whatever you've been praying for, it's going to be amazing when you get it. It's better than you thought it was. However, the giver, the promiser, the king, when he comes, it's not in a very predictable way, and it's not in a very predictable time. Everybody knows that something's going to be under the tree on December 25th. That's not the same thing with God. It doesn't come when you want it to. It doesn't come according to your calendar. It doesn't come when, when you need it to or when you think you need it to. And 
Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord, though, shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. You won't give up because you're waiting on the king. You're not just waiting for a gift. He says, I'm coming. Something is going to be birthed. It's going to be good. He waited through thousands of years of sin before he even sent Jesus. I'm going to close with one last story, and we're going to see what it's like when the coming one arrives. All right. If you've been waiting for him again, praise the Lord. This story hopefully will encourage you of what it's like when he actually gets there, when he arrives, when you get to taste and see of the gift that you've been waiting for. This is out of the book of John chapter 4. Speaking of Jesus, it says, When he left Judea and he, he departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. I want to stop there for a second and say this. This was a place prepared a long time ago. It's Jacob's well. Hundreds and hundreds of years pass by, and then... Jesus shows up, says, wearied and tired, and he stops at the well to get a drink. Imagine building or preparing a place that the I am himself would later be able to rest. Think about that for just a second. Jacob builds this well, prepares a place, and years later, God himself stops at that place and is able to find rest. Imagine if you were building a place for the I am. Imagine building a place that, as you see in this story, Jesus is going to encounter a woman for the first time and change her life. Imagine if you were building a place that God could rest in and building a place where God could encounter people. Here's a secret. You're in that place this morning. The house of his rest and the place where people can encounter him. Are you part of preparing a place? Are you building something? The story goes on. He sat, he sat by the well in verse 6. It was about the sixth hour and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. He tells her, hey, I know you're busy. I know it's Christmas. I know you got a lot going on. I know you, you did your budget and you only have X amount of dollars, but buy me something. Give me a drink. Go to church on Christmas. Tell your kids, you don't get everything you want. You're going to get some, but we're going to honor God. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman at the well. He's saying, will you prepare a place for me? Or will you just come looking for gifts? Do you have room in your busy water-gathering schedule to give the I am a drink? Such a powerful moment that he's having with her. I know from experience that he has the same moments with me consistently and he has the same moments with you. Bible says, be sure to entertain strangers because by so doing, some have entertained angels. Some people come into your life and God's just saying, how are you going to treat people? 
Do you only sacrifice when people see it? Do you only worship when people can see your hands go up? Or is this really in you? Are you changed and transformed? He says, give me a drink. She says, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew and you hate Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. You have nothing to give me. I saw your bank account. I know your attitude. There's nothing you could give me that I want. He says, I have something better than the things that you can see with your eyes, young lady. And if you knew who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given it to you. She says, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and all his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, they'll thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Listen to what he's saying to her. Jesus says to her, because she's all in love with Joseph and this well that he dug. He says, listen, Joseph dug this well preparing for the one who deals with thirst to come. You can come here and get a drink, and that's why he dug it, but he knew that the I am would come who actually deals with thirst. I can take away thirst. You just want a cup of water. Think about that in your life right now. Think about what it is that you really want, and I guarantee you God would say the same thing to you. Oh, you just want a little bit better marriage? I make the two become one. Oh, you just want a few more dollars? I show you what true wealth is. You want a better 80 years of life? I'll give you eternity. Why are you focused on this well? It was put here for such a time as this. It was prepared for the coming one. Here I am with you, and you're focused on the wrong gifts at Christmas. He said the same thing when John baptized. He said, look, John baptized with water. I baptized with the Spirit. <laughs> Don't forget you have an enemy. He'll give you a cup of a water every time you're thirsty to keep you from coming to the one who can deal with thirst itself. Last few verses, 15 says, Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. <laughs> I love that. Like maybe, maybe, maybe you're right, Lord. Can I get a cup of your water? that I might not thirst, nor come here again to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband, and then come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus, don't play. I would love to tell you that it doesn't say what it's about to say, because people think it's mean when people say stuff like this, and pastors say stuff like this, but prepare yourself. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. So she's saying, just give me the water. I don't have to go and get my husband. I don't have one. Just give me the water. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband because you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. You're shacked up. You're just giving it away to whoever will take it. 
I know who you are and I know how you behave and I know what you do with what's valuable. He said, in that you said you have no husband, you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She don't know he's God yet. She doesn't know what's really happening to her, but what she does know is, look, there's something special about you. I've never seen you before. You've never been here before. I come here every day. And for you to be able to say that you really know what's going on with me, my soul, my behavior, you're a prophet from God. You know what she's doing? She's beginning to prepare a place through asking for what she really needed and acknowledging her true condition. She's starting to prepare a place. She's saying, what I really need is the water that you have. Can I have it? And I'm not going to run away from you calling me out for what I am and who I am and how I behave. That's the truth about me. That's called preparing a place. You can see her actually saying, I'm preparing a place. If the coming one is coming, there's a place for him now in my life. I thirst and I want it to truly be quenched. I keep going to the well of men time after time after time, and I only get more and more thirsty. That's her story, but my story is no different. I had a different well, but I kept going back to it, and I kept getting more and more thirsty. And the same is true for you if you're here this morning and you're honest. I bet men consistently offered this young lady to give her the things that she thought she wanted. I bet husband after husband, and then those that weren't even her husband, they would say, I can give you what you want. And she would say, this is what I want. And I bet you that some of them actually held up their end of the bargain. You know what happened? She realized that that's not what she actually wanted. Same way that I realized that that's not what I actually wanted. And you realized that that's not what you actually wanted and you went back to a new well. I bet you Jesus was the first man to offer to quench her thirst with no strings attached. I didn't come here to meet you one-on-one -on -one at the well to take you back somewhere. I came here to quench your thirst. I came so that you'll never have to go to another well. You'll have a river of living water inside of you that satisfies every need. That opened her up to something spiritual, and the conversation changes here at the end from the flesh and water and getting to the well and Samaritans and Jews. It changed from all that which isn't important to the spiritual things that are important. This is how the conversation ends. She says to him, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She starts thinking spiritually and thinking about worship in God. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Those who will bring every thought into subjection. Those who will call on him outside of the church. Those who will pray and believe. Those who will walk into the restroom when they're in the middle of drama. Those who will place hands on their wife and pray over her. Those who will show their children, this is how we deal with our lives and this is how we honor God. He's saying the time is coming where it ain't about Jerusalem. It ain't about your mountain. It ain't about the temple. It's about the living God living inside of you. He's telling her these things one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. The Father seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. 
He says, I'm coming. <laughs> He's the coming one. He says, I'm coming. And she says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Say coming. Say the coming one. Say, I am coming. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I was coming, you knew I was coming, and now I'm here. You came to the well, and you thought that you would leave the same way. But when you got to the well, this is what you found out. You're pregnant. And when you left the well, guess what? You left with a newborn. When the coming one comes, everything changes. All of us came to church today, and I only know one of us who's pregnant, and she ain't here this morning, <laughs> in the physical. But here's the prayer. That maybe God would show you that you're pregnant with something. Begin to prepare a place. It took two things. She started asking the right questions. Where do you get this water from? She realized she wanted that water more than the water she'd always had. And then she acknowledged her sin. She didn't run from it. The good news this morning is if you came in here with sin, you are not alone. If you keep running from it, you can go well after well, but what you need is the coming one to come into your life and to give you a new life, to birth something new in your life. As a Christian, if you're a Christian here, you may think that that process is kind of over and you just get to do what I started with, which is just let them in to your crazy mind, your crazy situation, bring them in, let them cause change, but no, he always wants to birth new things into you. I want to pray this morning. <clears throat> you can bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray, first and foremost, for those who have never met the coming one. You've heard about him, you've been to church, you've heard other people tell you that they've met him. But you've never had an experience like this woman at the well where, completely unexpected, she found herself face to face with the king. They had this conversation that seemed to start off so normal, <clears throat> so expected. They talked about culture, Jews and Sumerians. They talked about the regular struggles of life, of life having to walk to this well and to get water and to constantly be coming back and the struggles and difficulties. And then all of a sudden, the conversation switched to, would you like your burdens of life to be removed? This constantly coming to the well and going from well to well, looking for satisfaction, I can bring an end to that. She says to him, I'm waiting for the Messiah. Whatever I've been doing, it obviously hasn't been working, so maybe I've made a decision. I'm going to wait for the Messiah. He's going to tell me everything I need to know. And then he says to her, I am he. I am here. I'm the coming one, and I've come to you. 
Will you receive me? Will you walk down from this well, having only come close to me? Or will you allow me to birth something new into your life? A rebirth, being born again, is what we have an opportunity for this morning. If you're here in this place, most likely for you, you were just going to the well today. <laughs> you didn't expect to come face to face with the Messiah or the King or to be challenged to go home, knowing that you've been pregnant and having already given birth. But our God doesn't show up at the opportune time. He just shows up when he wants to. If you're here and you've never actually given your life to Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins, take in the child, say, look, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to take you. I'm praying that today would be your day. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's just between you and the Lord. But would you just raise your hand if you are not saved but you want to be? Amen. I see your hand, young man. Praise the Lord. Amen. I see your hand, sis. Anybody else this morning? I'm telling you. He said to her, if you knew the one who asked you, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. There's no other well like this one, I promise you. And there's no other time like now. Anybody else this morning would say, I don't have the son, but I want the son. I didn't come here looking for a child, but I'm leaving with one. Anybody else? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just one last second. Anybody else? Today is your day. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with the worship team? Come. We're going to pray and release you guys to receive communion this morning. We're going to thank God for the salvations. Oh, this is the season. This is the season. <clears throat> I believe God's going to do some miraculous things in this church and in your lives. I'm going to open the, uh, the altar for everyone this morning. As you come, as you receive communion, I'm going to release you. But, but here's the last altar call. For those that gave your life to the Lord, I'm not going to call you out, but I am going to be here. I know who you are, and we're going to pray together. If you have a moment, just come and grab me. We'll pray together. But for everyone else... If you're here and you're already a Christian, before you receive communion, I want to open the altar for those who want to pray that this year, this season, in the three weeks you have before Christmas, that God would burst something new in your life. You don't get to look at the ultrasound. You don't know what it's going to be, if it's a boy or girl. You don't know what it is, but... That he'd burst something new and that you would do whatever it is that he asked you to do to prepare a place. I know for me, I'm excited about all that God has done, all he continues to do. And I don't, at Christmas, you know how people say this, but they don't really mean it. I don't need anything. Don't get me anything. If your husband or wife says that, they're lying. <laughs> Buy them something. But in many ways, as a Christian, I feel that way. Man, Lord, you gave me yourself. You gave me my wife. You gave me three kids. I didn't deserve to be a husband. I didn't deserve to be a father. I don't deserve to have a marriage that actually lasts. I don't deserve any of that. So you don't have to do anything else. But at the same time, I know my God. And, and when nobody's looking, I got my Christmas list out. Like, Lord, you want to burst something? <laughs> I'll take it if you want to give it to me, Lord. 
I ain't giving no gifts back. So if that's you, in this season, you just as a Christian, you're open to or you desire that God would birth something new. Before you receive communion, 